Good morning. morning. Grab your Bibles. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Psalms. So if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black one in front of you. Grab it, use it, take it home. That will be a gift from us to you. And then you can flip it in half and you should be there. Psalms. Book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 8, but... um, So there's been several moments in my life that I wanted to learn a new hobby or just a new talent. Like in ninth grade, I had this thought that, you know what, I'm going to learn how to play piano. So so like a good, I guess just if you want to learn something, you hire a teacher. So I hired this this lady uh, to teach me how to play piano. She was this Russian mean lady so so it was perfect so she came and uh and she was teaching me how to play piano and and so i did five lessons with her i did five lessons by the fifth lesson i expected that i should be awesome at piano and i should be playing like beethoven fifth symphony or something but that was not the case i was still learning notes i was still learning scale Scales and, and I was learning rhythm, and I discovered I have no rhythm, and so I quit. So that was, that was my freshman year, right? So then uh, in college, I had this, another idea. I was like, you know what? Every cool guy plays guitar, right? So I was like, I'm going to play guitar in college. So this time, I didn't hire a teacher, but I decided to buy a used guitar and go to YouTube and watch many videos of how to play guitar, and so I did that, and I did that for weeks, and I learned, and I was trying to teach myself how to do this, and discovered I still don't have rhythm, so I quit again. So that's why I don't play guitar ever. Um, so if you ever want to learn how to, um, to learn how to play an instrument, you have to play scales, you have to learn notes, you have to figure out rhythm, right? Like. Uh, I remember the mean Russian lady. She was like, one, two, three, four, one, two. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, what is going on here? Because I was trying to like, anyway, so it was just bad. So, because I don't have rhythm. And so, but, but for you to learn an instrument, you have to learn scales. You have to learn notes. You have to learn, uh, figure out rhythm. And that goes for a while. Like, it's not four weeks. It's not five weeks. It goes for a while. And then maybe after a little while, you play Mary Had a Little Lamb. Like, that's your next progression, like, from, from just playing the same note or going on a scale to Mary Had a Little Lamb. Like, maybe you remember, like, fifth grade, you were in the band, and you were playing a flute, like, right? Like, you played C for, like, a three weeks straight, and then afterwards, you're like, Mary Had a Little Lamb was the next progression. Well, that exists with everything you do. There's a progression that happens. In college, I played soccer, and, uh, and any time I had a... You know, a perfect chance to score, and I'll mess up, and I'll like kind of look with like accusation, looking down on the ground, and look at my shoe, and I just realize it's just me that's not good. And so, but my coach, my coach would like invite me back, and he'd be like, "Hey, Sergey, come here!" After a missed opportunity, and he was really wise and like just knowledgeable of the game, and so he'll come, come, come get me to come to him, and then he would say something like, "Hey, why did you miss?" And uh, I wanted to be like, it's the ground or my shoe or something, right? But like, he wanted to ask me what's at the basic of that. He wanted to remind me, he wanted to remind me 
what was going on. Why did I miss that shot? He wanted me to get to the basic. He wanted to remember how to shoot a ball in the first place. Like he wanted me to think what I learned way back in the day, like in first grade when I shot the first soccer ball. He wanted me to have my head down, put the ball, my left foot next to it, strike it, keep looking down, don't lean back, follow through. Right? He wanted me to say that to him. And it was really basic, but it was brilliant because what he was trying to accomplish, he's trying to accomplish is just to refresh the basics, refresh the philosophy of shooting a soccer ball. And if I did that, then I could be a great soccer player. Right? He was coming back to the basics. And the book of Psalms is just like that. It's just like that. They're, they're here to teach us about the basics of life and prayer. Uh, they, they, get to, they get to the basics, to the philosophy of life and prayer. They ask questions that we usually are afraid to ask. They're foundational. And within this foundation, they have been teaching us how to rightly think about God. They've been teaching us how to rightly feel about God. They've been teaching us how to rightly talk to God. And it's all foundational. Like, they're not giving us some formula. They're not the, it's, not, it's not one of those books that you go like A plus B equals C. No. And they're not saying hold down this button on the saxophone and now you're a musician. They're not saying take a blade and cut here. Now you're a surgeon. They're not saying combine two eggs and, and sugar and flour. Now you're a cook. No. They've been saying here's some foundational things about who God is. Here's some ways you can talk to God. Here's, here's what you say about evil things in this world. This is how you feel when there's injustice. It's like scale on the piano. And you play them over and over and over, reminding you of the basics of God's character and teaching you the basics of what it means to walk with God. How do I do this life? How do I walk with God? And so we, we are in Psalm 8 today, and Psalm 8 is addressing life. It's, it's addressing this question, what is the meaning of life? But again, in light of everything that I have just said, we won't be getting some formulaic answer to this. We're not going to get like A plus B equals C. No, we will get, get some foundational answer for this question, what is the meaning of life? And so if you're able, let's stand, read this text, and then we'll study the foundational answer to the meaning of life. Read this together as a church. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with the glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen. And also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. So, 
Our psalm starts off with an inclusio, which, which basically is just a literary term, a device that alerts the reader that everything that we'll be talking about is contained with this one thought. And this one thought is, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is the name in all the earth. Right? Like, that's how it starts and that's how it ends. And so that is the thought of our psalm. It starts with this, it ends with this. But the way this phrase starts, it's slightly surprising. It's slightly surprising. It says, Oh Lord. And, and we have seen this in Psalms that we studied previously. Usually think that the author will follow this phrase, Oh Lord, with a passionate cry for help. Like, Oh Lord, I need you to help me with this injustice. But in our case, this phrase is followed by a passionate cry of praise. So it's not a psalm that's crying out for the injustice of the world, like, oh Lord, there's so much injustice, I need your help. But it's more like, oh Lord, you are amazing. Oh Lord, I want to praise you. And then anytime you see the word Lord, and it's in all caps, we have noticed this, that sometimes Lord is in all caps, sometimes it's only L is capitalized. Well, whenever it says all, it says Lord with all the caps, it simply means that it's using the name Yahweh. And the name Yahweh has royal implication, God as a king, but, it has, but th- this name has so much more, right? It, the origin was when Moses was asking, ask God, what is your name? Um, or what do I call you when he was talking to a burning bush, right? So he was like, he goes, what do I call you? What is your name? And, and God said, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. So Lord Yahweh is the great I am, the absolute God who simply is, without beginning and end, utterly self-sufficient, meaning he is and he doesn't need anything. Everywhere you look, everything depends absolutely on him. No one can compete against him. He is above all things everywhere, and he's in charge of all things. He is greater, wiser, more beautiful, and wonderful than everything everywhere. And this God, as our text says, is our God. He's not just some deity who's in charge, but he's in a relationship with us. We call him Father. He's he's in a personal, covenantal relationship with us, and he's a God who is our God. And then our text says, how majestic is the name in all the earth. So this God who is our God, his name is majestic. But the the very nature of his name is majestic. But what does that mean? Majestic means having this intimidating power, a power and force that is on display for everyone to see. And it's beautiful. That's the nature of his name. Our Lord is great in might. He is great in power. The fury of his greatness is beyond every wonder on earth. Isaiah, my oldest, is at this stage right now where he asks questions about God's greatness. He asks questions about God's greatness and his majesty. He'll say something like, are mountains bigger than God? And uh, we, we've been answering this question for now months, right? And so now he'll still ask the same question. He'll be like, Is, are, are, are mountains bigger than God? And then he'll kind of give this snarky smile. And they'll be like, no, God is bigger than the mountains. He kind of says that to himself. And God is bigger than the mountains. He's right. 
God is bigger than the mountains. His name is majestic in all the earth. He's majestic and supreme of all the earth. And his majesty is above the heavens. That means even our best imaginations or imagines what we imagine and our greatest endeavors to capture the majesty on earth can't capture majesty of God. You can't even come close to that. He's beyond that. So here's this question. As you're hearing this, how majestic he is, do you believe that? Do you believe this about God? And if you believe this, does his majesty evoke anything in you? Does his majesty does something inside of you? Does it cause you to worship him? Because this is who he is. He is majestic. He is powerful. He's in charge. He's the king. He is and will always be. And he is our God. Do you see how this is a foundational truth? Do you see how this is a foundational truth? This is like a scale that we need to keep coming back to because this is at the heart of Christianity. This is who God is. He is sovereign and he is in charge. And we need to remember that, that it's, everything is about him and not about us. This is about God and his majesty and his glory. And then the author, author David, who's writing this at the end of verse says, at the end of verse one says, you have set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. So God is majestic, powerful, wise. But then in verse 2, we, we, get, we see babies, right? Like it's quite opposite of majestic and powerful and wise. Like babies are weak. Babies are, are they don't have wisdom or knowledge. All babies do is sleep, eat, poop, and cry. Right? Like, that's all babies do. Like, if you had a baby or if you know of a baby, that's basically their life. And sometimes they don't do those things well either. They're completely and utterly dependent on others. So, so why are, are, are they here in our passage in the middle of this majestic imagery of God? The psalmist uses this contrast between the all-powerful God and the powerless infant as a kind of a counterpoint. The imagery in this next few verses are juxtaposed to make us more aware of God's greatness. It helps us see it. The way you, you can't see the flashlight in the daylight until you get into a dark room and you're like, wow, that's really bright light here. This is what it's supposed to do to us. The author of our psalm is doing even more than that. He's showing the scope of God's reign. And he's not just concerned with his cosmic things. His hand is in the really small things. The author of our psalm is showing that God can take something as helpless and small as cries of a baby and defeat his enemies. He can defeat his enemies with a simple thought. Because one thought of his, of his contains more power than all the action taken by every human in all time. But he chooses to defeat his enemies with babies. God in his majesty can use the lowest of lows, such as the speech of babies, and defeat his, his enemies. And then, then he gives us another juxtaposition. He moves from little babies to something expanse, 
sky. Right? So, so the sky, like, I, I, have you been to, to like a dark, dark place and then saw the stars? When we moved to Colorado, uh, my brother-in-law, he is, he's a photographer and he loves nature photography. And so he took us to the top of the Rocky Mountains in the middle of the night. We were just married. We didn't have any kids. So middle of the night made sense to go to the top of the mountains, right? So we go to the top of the mountain and, and I remember getting out of the car on this top of the mountain and no lights, no moon. And as soon as I get out of the car, I remember having two thoughts it was breathtaking. So I took my, it was like, like, my breath was gone. And the second thing is I felt small. I felt tiny. We could see the Milky Way. We, we saw these, the stars so vividly. Like, it, it almost felt like they were pressing against us. It was like one of those moments. You're on top of the mountain and you're seeing these stars and they're pressing against you. And you're just kind of feeling like, I am tiny. I'm very small here. But what's crazy is in that moment, looking at, the, at a little slice of the Milky Way, I felt small. But look how small the Milky Way is compared to the many galaxies. I want you to kind of take that in for a second. That's, that's the position of the Earth, Sun, and all the planets, right? Like, that's a speck. It's a speck. And these are not stars. These are galaxies. Like these are, each one of these pro- probably has many planets and many stars within it. Do you feel small yet? We are a dot in this picture. <laughs> I felt small thinking about the Milky Way, but this picture shows that should make you feel tiny. Like you should feel like the grain of, of salt or, or, or on the beach, the grain, grain of sand. And what's crazy about this is that God made all this with his fingers. And he has set all this in place. All of this was made with his fingers. He makes babies and can defeat enemies with their cries. And he made stars and galaxies and he's in charge. So the scale or the foundation that we should be learning from this psalm so far as this, that you are small, you are tiny. God is majestic and powerful. And in light of that, we get to ask this question that the psalmist asked in verse 4. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. In other words, what? Like you are majestic. All glory belongs to you. You created that. Like that, that, that was all you. And you, you can defeat, with, defeat enemies with the babies. Cries. You made all of this. And why would you care about us? Why are you mindful of us? Why do you care about us? Do you know? Do you know that humans are the only ones that ask this question? Do you know that this, this is, this humans are the only creatures who ask this question? Like, your cat, no matter how cute or evil she is, she's not pondering this question. Like, this is not something that she's, like, laying in, in bed or, or on top of a couch thinking about life. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, that's just not the case. Cows don't lay down at night and think and wonder what's the meaning of life. Like, they might think, like, I need sleep. I'm going to go eat. Somebody will milk me. I don't know. Like, that's just that's part of their life. And 
What has been going on so far is that the writer has been answering this particular question already. He's been laying down the foundation to this question. He has played the scale over and over. God is majestic. You are not. You are tiny. God shouldn't care about us. God shouldn't even notice us. We are a speck. But listen what he says next. In verse 5 he says, he says, You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish in the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. So God created everything, and then he crowns us with glory and honor. He gave us dominion over the works of his hands. And do do you see what David is doing here? Do you see what he's doing here? He's going back to the creation order. He's going back to the creation order. He is quoting Genesis 1.26. He's quoting this. He says, and then and Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our like, likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the, you know, earth and over the creeping things that creep on the earth. Right? Like, this is a verb, word for word God is majestic. We are not. God is in charge. We are not. Someone's car? Anyone's? No? Um, There it is. Okay, cool. Um, So God is majestic. We are not. God is in charge. We are not. But here's why he cares. Here's why he cares about us. In his love, he made mankind in his own image, in in his own likeness. And then he gave us dominion. We are made in his own image and his own likeness. But what does that mean? What does that mean? John Piper is a pastor, theologian. He says this. He says, people make images to image. People make images to, to image. So, so for, for you to wrap around this, this uh, definition is that like if you go to Chicago Bulls Arena and you see that there's a statue of Michael Jordan in front of it, right? Like, and, and you look at the statue, you see Michael Jordan dunking on someone. Like there's like a couple people on the bottom and he's just on top of it. For whatever reason, they didn't have his tongue sticking out. I don't know why not. But he's, he's just dunking on somebody, right? Like, so the statue of Jordan then is shown something specific about Jordan. It's describing one of his amazing characteristics and his attributes. And God makes humans in his own image. And if we take John Piper's definition here and apply it, it means God makes humans in his image to image himself. That means God makes humans in his image to image God. Or, or our role is then to display or reflect or communicate that image. Or more specifically to display, reflect, communicate God's glory. And uh, as our text in Psalm verse 5 says, You have made him, God made us, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. God made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned us with glory and honor. And so the, the, there's a glory desire that's inside of you and it's part of a God-like image. 
And you're made to reflect that glory. You're made to do things that show off the glorious character of God. This is why that you're, you're so attracted to exciting sports games or movies or mountains or even pleasures. They spark the sense of glory in you. It's inside of you to chase after bigger and better things and will continuously run after glory to satisfy the glory-given whole that's in our hearts. In God's design, we're made in His image and likeness and, and we're to reflect Him perfectly by walking with Him and by being with Him. He's the source of the glory and by being with Him, we're mere, we're mere throwing all the glory back onto Him. Right? But sin corrupted this. Sin corrupted this. In Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Here's what's fascinating about this, that sin didn't take away the image of God from us. Sin distorted it and, or defaced it. In other words, everyone is made in the image of God, but the, but the sin that's inside of me smudges that image. We're not truly true glory mirrors anymore. We become glory black holes trying to suck all the glory up for ourselves. We want to live for our own glory. We reflect the image of God less and less because we become more and more curved in on ourselves. That's why when we chase after bigger and better things for the sake of running after our own glory, all of this churns on itself. We want bigger and better for ourselves and that's selfishness is just born within us. It just comes alive. So of course, of course, the dominion that God gave us is stained by our own, our own desires and sins. Our desire to elevate ourselves is born with sin. And God made us in His image and then gave us the world He created to care for and reflect His glory. But we want to replace that glory with our glory. Do you see why it's important for us to come back to the foundation that this psalm is bringing us to? Not, not just once, not just daily, but maybe reminder all the time that all glory belongs to God. We are tiny, and we will forget that even for a second. Our hearts are quick to try to steal that glory for ourselves. That's why most days we live by elevating ourselves. We think we're better than we truly are. We, we, we even think we deserve more than we do. And we demand more from others than we should. And all of this doesn't scatter glory outward, but turns glory inward. Instead of shining with the glory of God, we're, we, we get sucked into the, the riptide of self-centeredness or selfishness. You might have heard of the catechism, right? If you grew up in the church and, and maybe, maybe you heard this catechism, what's, what is man's chief end? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And it's almost like if you ask that question, like, why do you exist? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But sin distorts that and sin makes it hard for us to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we need God to come and rescue us. We need God to come and save us from ourselves. We, we need God to come and join this creation because we are failing with this call, with this mandate to take care of this earth. We're failing because we're constantly pulled to care more about ourselves than God and His glory. In the book of Hebrew, 
the author of Hebrew points to the one who comes and saves us. He points to this and he says in Hebrews 2, 5 through 9, he says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? So he's quoting our, our text right now, right? What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels and you have crowned him with the glory and honor, putting everything in subject under his feet. So now putting everything in subject to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subject to him, but we see him who, who for a little while was made lower than the angel, namely Jesus. Crowded with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You see what just happened? We can't perfectly reflect the image of God, but God made a way in Jesus to reflect his image for us. Let me say that again. We can't perfectly reflect the image of God, but God made a way in Jesus to reflect his image for us. We keep thinking about ourselves, but Jesus joined this this world and thought of us. We keep wanting to move away from being small and insignificant, but Jesus became small and insignificant to save us. He joined this creation. He created this and then he joined this. Why? Because of his great love. He loved us so much that he made us in his image. He loved us so much that when sin entered the world, he had a way out for us. Listen how Paul puts it in the book of Philippians. Philippians 2, 5, 8. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... He's talking about Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He was the image of God, and he became the image of a servant. Why? So that, that, that we who are full of sin full of unrighteousness, full of self-glory, can reflect the image of God again. There's only one who exists in the universe who's ultimate in glory, and He is ultimate in greatness. He is ultimate in beauty. He's ultimate in perfection. As Romans, Romans 11.36 says this about Jesus, For from Him and through Him and to Him all things to Him be glory forever. Do you see how important it is for us to to have a psalm like this that brings us back, that grounds us, that brings us the foundation, the scale, scales us back to say God is glorious. He is majestic. He is big. He is sovereign. He is in control. You're tiny. You're insignificant in some ways, but he, God cared for you. He provided a way for you through Jesus Jesus joined this earth. He didn't just stay up there. He didn't just have some some crazy plan. No, he joined this creation. He humbled himself. And then to the point of death. It wasn't just like, hey, I joined this earth. That was cool. 
oh, that's what they feel like here, and then just zoomed out. No, he died for all of us. And so may we remember that we are tiny. May we remember that God is majestic. May we give God all the glory. And because of the cross, rest in his glory forever. May we glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let me pray for us.